glad you guys are here. Hey, thanks for joining us today. I want to say a quick hello to all of our campuses. Thanks for being a part of our services. Let's give it up for our God Behind Bars guys real quick. We love you guys. So grateful for you. So the last month, you know, we obviously kind of got thrown as a church, really as a city in, in all of our communities, because of the hurricane. And so I immediately just set aside everything we were doing. We turned all of our church and our whole staff and just focused on meeting the needs through the hurricane, all the relief efforts. And so you guys know we turned this place into like a miniature world vision all of a sudden. We got, you know, stuff coming in from around the country and shipping it into the people that needed it. And, you know, we really just, you know, went full gear all the way in and just began to serve our community, which I'm really proud of you guys. It was amazing. Thank you guys. Incredible. Over 3,500 of you responded. That's the ones we know of, probably more than 4,000 of you, but over 3,500 people that we, that we know of signed in to serve and to help in the communities that were hurt the most. Thank you so much for all that you've done. It's incredible. God's really moved in a powerful way. So this last week, we got our whole staff together, and we we're just kind of loving on them and encouraging them a little bit. And at, at the end of our time together, I told them, I said, hey, guys, it's been amazing this last month. But we want to shift gears back to being full-blown church again, which is what God's called us to do. And so, because we're supposed to be busy reaching another 5,000 people for Christ this year. And so I believe God's using that hurricane to help us do that. And so I, I believe that in the midst of difficulties, people do turn to God when opportunity. So we're going to continue meeting the long-term needs now of those cities that got hit the hardest. So we have not stopped our efforts, but we're also going to turn back to becoming what God's called us to be as a church, reaching more people for Christ. And so let's say our mission statement together. What are we here to do? We're here to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. Well, the reason I say this is because a couple of weeks back, uh, a number of weeks back before the hurricane hit, we were in the middle of a series on creating your future because the best way to determine your future is to create it. And so I would like to complete that series today. So pull out your notes if you would, and we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 1 today. We've been going through creation about how God created the world in the same way he wants us to use the principles in which he created the world to create your world the way you would like to design it, the way you would like to see it happen. God wants you to be the co-author of your life, and so you're a big part of what your life looks like. God influences it greatly, but he expects you to respond to his influence and to create the world that he believes that you should have. And so God has built you with and designed you with ambitions, talents, gifts, and abilities. He wants you to fully utilize that for your future. And so how do you create that world? Today's message is called How to Be a Boss. How to Be a Boss is not really about you necessarily having the corner office, it's not necessarily about you being a CEO, although if you apply these principles, you'll end up with a corner office and you may become the CEO. But many of you may say, Pastor, I don't really care to be a boss. That's okay. Then live like a boss. Living like a boss means that you take charge of your life. It means that you take control of what God has given you control over. And so what does that look like? I want to unpack that today. Now, before I go any further into this, though, I know some people are bothered by the term boss. I already had some pushback. I don't know. I don't like that term. But let me just tell you that for the rest of your life, if you haven't figured this out yet, you will have a boss. At no point in your life do you not have a boss. Everyone has a boss. You say, well, hold on. What about the CEO? He didn't have a boss. Yes, he does. He's got shareholders that he has to answer to, that she has to answer to. Everyone has a boss. I've had employees you know, tell me, well, you're the boss. Well, I, I may feel like the boss occasionally, but the truth is I have over 10,000 bosses that regularly check up on my performance every seven days. And if I'm not up to par, guess what? you will fire me and find another church. And I know that. So at the end of the day, the person who seems like they don't have a boss has the most bosses. That's how that works. So you got to know that even if you get to that point, that quote-unquote pinnacle in your mind of running the division, running the department, running the family, whatever it is, you have more than one boss at that point. 
So don't be afraid or uncomfortable with the boss relationship. In fact, Jesus even said in the word, he actually said, I only do what the father tells me to do. So even Jesus had a boss. He listened to the father. So I just want to encourage you, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing that we all have accountability, that we all have someone that we answer to. But let's talk about how you can become the boss. If you, if you say, I mean, I aspire to go further in my career, to go further in my, in my field or influence or whatever it is that you want to do, how do you become the boss? Here's how. You follow what God did. God was the boss and is the boss of this whole world. He's the Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end. And so he has always been the boss because he created it. And by the way, the best way to become the boss of the company is to create a company. And so that's exactly what God, God runs the world. Why does he run it? He created it. He made it, right? And so in the same way, how do you become boss? There was a newly commissioned general in the army, and uh, he was excited about his new position. He'd never been that high in the ranks before. I mean, he had climbed the ranks, but now he was appointed general. He's like the man, and he knew it, and he felt it. He's like, yes, I want to establish my authority early. So he, he has his boxes with him. He goes into his brand new office. They just built this new office, a new wing there. And, and, and so he, he, he grabbed his boxes, set them down, and he sat down at his new desk, and there's a phone sitting there. Everything is, you know, wide open. And as he, as he sits there, he just on his first day, he's like, man, I'm, I'm like the man now. I'm, I'm at the boss. And there, uh, he notices, because uh, it's a glass office, and so he sees through the glass, he sees a young private heading his way, and he wants to look like the boss. So as soon as the private turns the corner and starts coming to his office, he immediately grabs the phone, picks it up, and says, yes, sir. Yes, Mr. President, I'll get right on it. Absolutely, Mr. President, whatever you need, Mr. President. And he hangs up the phone and he looks at the young man and he says, Private, what can I do for you? The guy says, uh, I was just here to hook up your phone for you. <laughs> As we talk about being the boss, we're not talking about looking like you're the boss. We're not talking about appearing like you're powerful. Actually, the people who like to exert their power over the people, they don't last in leadership. No one wants to work for someone like that. No one wants to follow someone who tries to be dominant over others. Instead, actually, the boss is the one who's supposed to come alongside others and serve them. So please don't misconstrue this message to think this is all about power when it's not. It is about you taking control of what God put in front of you. And so how do you do that? Let's unpack the scripture today. We're looking at day four of creation. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, uh, starting, I believe, in verse 14, or you can use your Bible app either way. Genesis 1, verse 14. Then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let, let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Now, lights means that there was more than one light. Now, obviously, the sun illuminates our world, right? But they're actually a bunch of stars, okay? And the sun is just one of those stars. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth, that is, and that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day, the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and evening passed, and morning came, make, marking the fourth day. So a couple things on here. First of all, you notice uh, that there's a big rock and a small rock. How many of you guys work the night shift? Anyone here have to work the night shift? Okay, some of you have to do that. Okay. For those of you who are frustrated working the night shift, because typically that's not the time most people want to work. Maybe you're a night owl and you like the night shift. Great. But a lot of people feel like they were given the night shift. They don't really want to work those hours, but what choice do you have, right? And so let me just encourage you, if you're the person that's having to do the night shift, you're like, man, I feel like a vampire. By the time I get home, light's coming out and I'm going to bed and, you know, I miss the kids half the time because of that. And then, you know, the next night, you know, about the time I'm ready to go to sleep, I got to go to work. I mean, you know, right, it, it's difficult to do that. Or maybe you're new on, on the police force and you have to work Christmas and you got to work New Year's Day and you got to work Valentine's. All the days you want off, 
you're having to work, or maybe you're the new pilot, and you got to fly on Christmas Day. You know, whatever it is, you know, you end up having the days and the times that nobody wants to work, you're having to work, right? It's a night shift type work, right? Let me just encourage you, hang in there, be faithful, because you're the little rock right now. But if you stay at it, you'll become the big rock, and then you get to choose your hours. So just know that every one of us starts off, in any organization, the little rock, and you got to go with what's given you. But if you'll be faithful at that, eventually you get the big rock. And so just stay at it. Just stay faithful. Also, the scripture tells us something very interesting. It says here that, that God put the sun and the moon in place. And now he begins to rotate the earth at this moment. We see that at this, at this time, there, that now we have a night and day, which means there had to be rotation going on because God put his, the, the earth on an axis, right, an axis point. By the way, do you know that, that, that if we were off just by one-eighth or even one-tenth of a point, on our axis of the Earth's orbit, we would spin out of control and either freeze to death or burn up. Did you know that? God placed us perfectly in the right spot to climatize the ability for us to live our lives. It's pretty cool. God really designed the world for you and me to succeed. He's designed it for you to thrive. He's built it for you. So when he does this, but I think it's interesting, that he doesn't put the sun and moon into place until the fourth day. So think about this. He's worked for three days before we have time. We don't have time yet, but yet God, this is important, is keeping his own time. So what's the number one way that you can become the boss in your world? It's real simple. Would you write this down? Number one, they, the way to be the boss is to take control of your time. There is no time yet. There's no 24-hour period of time yet until God puts it into place. But yet he keeps his own time. You see, one of the reasons why many of us are employees of someone else is because someone else has to tell us when to show up and when to leave. Someone else has to tell us what to do each hour. Need to do this, need you to do that. But the higher you go in the organization, the less someone is telling you daily what to do or even hour by hour what to do. And, and, and the only way that's going to happen is if you take control of your time. So let me just give you an example. You may say, well, I'm the low man on the totem pole at my work. So you're given an assignment. Each employee on, at your level or your team or department's given, given a job to do. I need this report done by Friday. Well, you take control of your time and say, okay, I'm going to have it done by Wednesday. You get your report done by Wednesday. You show up and say, boss, I want to turn in a report. She looks at you and says, this is already done? You say, yes. And she says, but it's not due until Friday. You say, I understand that. Just when I finished a little early. Is there anything else you need me to do? Oh, wow. I, I didn't have anything else to assign you, but why don't you go help your colleagues finish their assignments? Now you get to walk in their office like a boss and assist them. You keep doing that, you'll become a boss. Because you took control of your time, and you didn't go on what the time frame that was given you, you keep your own clock. Does that make sense? So if you want to become the boss, you take control of your time. Inc.com did a study and found out that 89% of people waste, admitted to wasting time at work. On average, people waste between 30 minutes and one hour a day out of an eight-hour day. That is a lot of time that we're wasting. That's two and a half hours a week, almost three weeks a year that we are on vacation at work. We should be working during that time, right? You know what you actually call that technically? You call that theft. You're stealing hours that you're being paid. And so, believe it or not, I actually don't want to argue that you work more hours a day. I want to argue that you work in your hours, that you actually focus your time, and that when you're at work, you get more done. If you don't do this, guess what? You end up taking work home. And now you've got kids that are resentful or a spouse that's resentful because you're working 
when you're not on the clock because you didn't get it all done at work. And guess what? Then you're at work and you're taking phone calls from home and they're upset with you and now you're arguing with your spouse while you should be working. You see, the problem is creates a negative cycle. So I just want to encourage you wherever you are to be there, fully engaged. So when you're at work, work the whole time. When you're at home, be home. When you're at church, be at church. Put your phones up. Right? Fully engaged. Did you know that 24% of the time that's wasted is in socializing with other employees? So a lot of the time we're wasting is just sitting in the break room too long. It's just walking by someone's desk and just sitting there for too long. And if people are taking your time, I want to encourage you to close your door and get more work done. Stay focused on the task at hand. And don't tell me you're working all the time when you're sitting around talking, go, and then she said this, and can you believe she did that? And I'll tell you what I told her, that's not working. And so I want to challenge you when you're at the office to put in the full day's work. 67% of employees regularly check social media at work. That's a total waste of time. You know, at least be more honest about it when you're updating your status on Facebook and just say, wasting time at work. (laughs) Right? The truth is, is that if you will fully engage your time to be focused on what you're supposed to focus on, it's incredible how fast you'll become the boss just by getting it done, just by staying focused on the task at hand. Now, let me, let me give you some, some more steps on how you can do this. Look what God does next. Genesis 1 verse 20 says, Then God said, Let the water swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed him, saying, be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the sea, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the fifth day. So now God creates fish. He creates birds. Now let me tell you why order matters. Because after this, we know that God creates the mammals on the ground. Now what if God had created the fish and the birds and the mammals on the, that, and the animals that travel on the ground all on the same day before he separated the, the, the sky, wa- the water that was in the sky, or the earth from the waters. Do you know how many puppies would have died? Had he made all the puppies without separating the water from the land yet? I mean, that would have been horrible. Think about all the beautiful little puppies that would have died, because they would have all drowned, right? Order matters. Now, the cats would drown too, but that wouldn't be too bad. I mean, it... just kidding. It was a joke. I was just, just kidding. Don't send me your emails. I'm just kidding. I like cats too. But the point is this, is that order matters, doesn't it? Can you imagine if you'd have made all the animals and been like, oh, I, I forgot to separate the waters from, from, the, from the sky or, 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 or from, from the earth. So let me keep the animals in heaven for now. So then the angels would have been up there going, okay, keep the orangutans over there. All the deer need to stay over here. I don't know what's going on with the kangaroos fighting everyone. We need to separate them all. It would have been a big mess. It would have been like, Lord, could you get the order right? Because now heaven's crazy. It's a big mess here. And so he got the order right. So he designed the atmosphere so the animals could live. That's why he had to separate the water in the skies so the animals could breathe, right? He separates the water from the land so the land, the land animals have a place to, to be without drowning, right? He creates all that in order. Then we get the animals. Then we eventually get man. Order matters. Now, let me just say this about order. What I'm going to say next may be offensive to some of you. It wasn't meant to offend you, though. I'm just trying to bring truth to help you. So you may disagree with my order, or you may have not followed the orders I'm going to mention, but can we at least admit that certain things go better in certain orders? Case in point. Here, I'll just give you a couple examples. Here's an order that you can follow. Get a job, get married, get pregnant, have kids, right? Some people follow this order. Get pregnant, 
get married, get a job. Which one goes better? Right? You say, well, that's very offensive to me, Pastor. I'm not trying to offend you, and I'm not even bringing moral judgments when I'm saying, but can we at least admit which one goes better? Apparently, order does matter. Here's another order. Get your education, get a good-paying job. And here's another one that's popular. Get a job, then go get your education. Which one's easier? Did you see where I'm going with this? Like, it's a lot harder if you get a job, because eventually you get a family then, right? And now you've got kids, and you're trying to go to college while you have kids. Very difficult to do, right? And so it, this is why I tell young people, just stay in school and finish your degree. Because the moment you quit going to class, you say, oh, I'm just going to take a semester off. You won't go back then. Because the moment you get a taste of no homework, you don't want it anymore. So just stay at it. You say, well, I'm broke. Right, every college student is broke. That's part of being in college. Just stay at it, get the degree, then get the job, and you'll end up with a higher-paying job. Does that make sense? Now, for those of you who feel like you messed up the order, God loves you. God, you know, if, if you feel like you've blown it in some of these areas, God's a forgiving God. I'm not trying to bring judge on anyone here, but let's admit at least to our own children, you know, that, hey, there may be a better order to do this in. Let me give another order that's very popular, major purchases. You buy a house that, that goes up in value, then you buy a car that goes down in value, right? But many people buy a car first that goes down in value, then they go to buy their house, and they can't buy as much house, and they don't know why. It's because you use some of your buying power on that car, and you thought you could afford more car, and you could, but that's because you don't have a house yet. So you end up buying more car than you need, and then you can't buy enough house that you need. Does this make sense? So instead, buy a house, keep driving the jalopy longer, buy the house you want, and then you say, here's the problem. See, the house that you bought for $100,000 five years ago is now worth $125,000 to $135,000, and you only owe $85,000 on it, right? So now you've got this thing called equity. But if you wouldn't have bought that house, let's say you bought the car, now you couldn't quite buy the house, and now you're still renting for now because you had this big car payment. Problem is, five years now, the car you bought for 40 grand is now worth about seven grand. So you just lost money on the deal. Cars are losing proposition any way you do it, but if you bought the house, that's worth more money than the car that's now that you bought for 40 is now worth 7,000. You have offset that loss with the house going up in value. Do you see why order matters? So you want to buy in the right order. The order goes for a lot of things, and this may seem real simple, but let me just give you uh, someone who succeeded greatly by just ordering their world. There's a lady by the name of Mary Kay Ash. She founded Mary Kay Cosmetics. She's now passed away. But she was really smart about order. And so one of the things she did, and by the way, she did more for single moms than probably anyone has ever done in America. I mean, she really helped a lot of women who struggle financially trying to, trying to take care of their bills by helping them build a cosmetic empire. It's amazing. She turned the entire cosmetic industry on its ear. It's amazing what she did. But this is her number one principle she taught to all of her associates. She taught them this. She said, before you leave the office or before you go to bed at night, Get out a little piece of paper and write down the top three things you need to do the next day. Then when you wake up in the morning, don't do anything until you've done those three things. This one principle ordered her world in such a way that she created a virtual empire in the cosmetic industry. Just the simplicity of ordering your day will change your life. I know that seems real simple, but are you doing it? Have you ever been to the office, you drop off your briefcase or your attache, you set it down, you got your stuff in there you need to get started on, and then you start responding to people coming to your office, and you, by the time you get back to your briefcase to open it up, it's about four o'clock. You're like, oh my gosh, I just responded to other people all day long and never even got started on what I'm supposed to be doing. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? 
You've got to learn to order your day. Order your steps, number two, or you will make everything in your world harder. Ordering your steps is a game changer. I want to encourage you to do that. And if you got the order wrong, God loves you. God will help you get the order right. Just start from where you are. And if you messed up at this point, it's okay. Just start getting the order right from now on. And so I just want to encourage you with that. Hey, next week I'm starting a brand new series, by the way, called Thank You for Betraying Me. I'm really excited about this new series because most of us would never want to thank someone who's hurt us. But you may find yourself on the end of the series thanking them, thinking, you know what, God? I didn't realize it, but you were setting me up for success, and I didn't even know it. Join us for this brand new series called Thank You for Betraying Me. I promise you, you will leave with your life changed from this new series. Starts next week. Bring someone with you next week, too. I want to encourage you to bring a friend. You know that 80% of people that visit the church visit because a friend or a family member brought them with them. So the number one way people come to our church is not because we advertise. We do that to get the word out that we're here. But the truth is, number one pay, the number one way people come is because you bring them. So I want to challenge you right now to think about someone you could bring to church with you next week and to bring them for this brand new series. Maybe you know someone who's being betrayed or has been really hurt by someone and they need to hear next week's message. So bring them with you for thank you for betraying me. Next point, check it out, verse 24. Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind. You know animals produce the same kind? It's just the way it works. I've never seen two dogs give birth to a cat. Hasn't happened yet. It's probably not going to. Because you give birth to the same kind, right? Your offspring looks a lot like you. So if you want your kids to turn out a certain way, you need to be that certain way. That's how they turn out like that, Right? So just let that challenge us a little bit. Say, if I want someone to do something, I need to be doing it first. And, and by the way, bosses that have highly productive staffs are highly productive people. That's how that works. And so you just have to know going in that whatever you, whoever you are is what you produce. It says each producing offspring of the same kind. Livestock, small animals, scurrying along the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. So when God created animals, he didn't just create one animal and then have to recreate them when they died again. He created at least two of every, every type of animal. Then they could, between the two of them, reproduce another animal, right? So in other words, God's not still creating deer. Now deer are creating deer, right? And so God doesn't have to create more livestock. Livestock breeds livestock, right? And if you're a rancher, you can speed up this process, right? You get that one bull, you call him the stud, right? And you put him in the pen with other, uh, you know, cows to mate, and that's how you get more, right? I, mean, I don't know that much about it, but I do know that, right? If you, if you want to recognize a stud on any ranch, just, you just find the bull that's in the smoking jack, and he's like, hey, what's up? That's him. Anyways, the point is, is they put that one into the pen knowing they're going to breed to create more, right? In other words, God doesn't have to every hunting season say, oh, I got to create some more deer because they killed them all again, right? He doesn't have to do that because deer create more deer. In fact, actually, they can, produce, they can overpopulate, actually, and then you need to get rid of some deer. That even happens. I don't know if you know that. God doesn't have to create more dogs and cats because one got killed, you know, crossing the road. No, they're creating themselves. In other words, God put it in motion to reproduce. One of the ways you know you're a boss is you learn to be able to reproduce what you do in other people. And so a real boss is actually a, a teacher of sorts, teaching people to do what they do. You have, to, you have to be able to do that. So what does that mean? Number three, if you want to be the boss, you got to learn to take what you do to a multiple. Take what you do to a multiple. Let's say you are a plumber's assistant. So you learn how to 
fix someone's toilet, how to fix someone's pipes, right? That's great. And so you're assisting someone else. Eventually, you decide to open up your own plumbing business. So you set aside your money, you save money for a couple of years, and now you've got enough money to go buy a used van. So you buy a used van, you put your name on the side of it, you know, such and such plumbing business, put your phone number on it, put, your word, put the word out in the Craigslist and other ways, and you want people to, to call you. To, when, you're to, when their toilet breaks, they call you now, right? So you put the word out, you get business cards made, and now you've got your van. And so you pull up at your first customer, and you hop out, and you fix their toilet, you get it all right. But every time you see something you need, you come back to your van and realize you can't find the part. You're like, where, where did I put that? I need, I need that one part. Oh, here it is. And you dig around, and you finally find it. After about three or four days, this, you get so frustrated realizing it's, taking, realizing it's taking way too long to get one job done that you finally stay up all night and you organize your van. And you realize, okay, on the left side, I'm going to keep the screws and the nuts and bolts. On the right side, I'm going to keep the hoses and I'm going to keep these fixtures and that fixtures. I'm going to keep the tools I use all the time right here with me. I'm going to make a tool belt and a toolkit that goes in with me. All the stuff I know I'm going to need that every job needs, right? You organize your van. Then because it's organized, now you get to three or four clients in one day instead of one or two. Okay, so now you doubled your money. Then you start setting aside some of that money because now you've gotten so efficient, so effective that you can do six and seven clients in one day, setting aside money, setting aside money. Now you take the excess money, you go buy a second used van, put your name on the second van. And the assistant that's been helping you out for the last couple of years, you say, I'm going to give you your own van. And now you've got what you do to a multiple. Now you got two vans. Eventually you got 10 vans. Now you got a whole company. You take what you do to a multiple. Don't make fun of that plumbing job. They're probably making a lot more money than you are fixing people's toilets. All they did was take what they do to a multiple. Think about what you do. Can you take it to a multiple? The truth is, is 19 years in, I'm doing the same thing I did the first year. I just took what I do, which is write a message to encourage you and help you grow in the Lord and meet Christ, right? And I just took it to multiple. We used to do one service. Then we decided, I do all this work, prepare this message. Everyone gets all the music ready. We get all the lights set to do a service. Why are we doing all that work for one hour? Let's at least do two hours. Then we did three in a row. Then we did four. Eventually, I preached six services in a row. My voice began to go out, and then someone said, let's record it, and let's show a video. Then we're doing seven services. Then we added another campus, and we said, if we're going to do all the work to add a campus, let's not have one service. Let's start with two, then three, then four. All of our campuses have at least four services or more, and so we just take what we do to a multiple. Many of you right now say, I don't like video services. Stop and look right now where you're looking. You're looking at the screen. So I'm live in the room, and you're looking at a screen. <laughs> Obviously, it's not a problem. Well, I don't like it when he's not here, but, but most of you don't even look at me when I am here. <laughs> when you go to a Cowboy game, you're looking at the big screen in the middle of Texas Stadium. But yet, they're right on the field. You said, well, it's a better shot. Exactly. And so take it to a multiple. doesn't make it worse. It can even make it better. You know, some of you, you're, well, I don't know. I just don't like video. I just, I just think that's laughable, honestly. But when you look at your phone all day long. If video was such a problem, then how do you know who Joel Osteen is? Or Joyce Meyer or Bishop Jakes? You probably listen to them all the time. Oh, they're so powerful. Yeah, and you watch it through a video screen. And so obviously it doesn't slow anything down. So whatever it is that you do, take it to a multiple. Whatever it is that you do. There's a true story of a guy I know that I was talking to one day, and he was talking about his family. And I said, what'd your dad do? And he said, well, my dad used to run an ice cream shop. I was like, oh, really? Like, what, what, which one? I was thinking it was like a chain. He goes, no, we, he made his own. I was like, oh, that's awesome. He said, yeah, he used to make his own ice cream. I was like, oh, man. He goes, oh, it was so good. I said, that's really cool. He goes, yeah, it was cool until he died. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, when he died, all his recipes died with him. I said, what do you mean? He said, he was so worried 
that if he taught anyone else how he made the ice cream, he made his own ice cream flavors. If he taught anyone else how to, how to make them, it would, he would lose value by doing that. So when he suddenly died, the whole family business and all of our fortunes went with him. Man, that's sad. He could have taught his kids. He could have taught some employees how to make the ice cream. That could have been a franchise. That could have been an ice cream dynasty by now if he just would have taken what he knew how to do and taught someone else. When you teach other people, you're not hurting yourself. When you don't teach others, you're hurting yourself. You're taking what you do to a multiple. I want to encourage you to do that. Look at Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image. That doesn't say in my image, because God's a triune God. Triune is where we get the word triune trinity. He's one God in three persons, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he said, let's make man in our image. And so Jesus and the Holy Spirit were actually even at creation. They will reign over the fish in the sea. Would you underline the word reign? To reign means to dominate. They will dominate the fish in the sea, the birds in the, in the sky, the livestock, the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. They will reign over all those animals. And all the hunters said, amen, right? So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Okay, let me stop here. Let me just talk about this real quick. It's the most controversial thing I'll probably say all year. Here it is. God made you male, not to change it. God made you female, not to change it. That may seem controversial in our culture today, but let me just talk about this real quick. I am not doing you a favor to tell you you can decide your sex, because the truth is you can't. You say, oh, I can. I can legally do it. Absolutely. You can legally take a part or add a part, and it doesn't change your sex. It just means you're a man with a missing part now dressing like a woman, or you're a woman adding a part dressing like a man. I'm not trying to be insulting. But you'd have to change your chromosomes, which you cannot do. That's the essence of who you are. I'm just, I'm, you know, well, you're judging me. No, I'm talking medically. You can't do this. It's not even possible. I don't know if you're aware of that. And I'm not trying to be mean. I think the crueler thing to do would be to go with the narrative you've been told, which is that you can change your sex. You, I mean, we can call you a girl's name if you want, but you're still a guy being called a girl's name or vice versa. And let me tell you why I'm, I'm so passionate about this. It's not because I'm trying to limit your lifestyle. For those of you who say, I want to be a girl and I was born a man. I've, people say, well, I feel like I'm a man, even though I'm a woman. I feel like I'm a woman, even though I was born a man. Okay? So let's argue that to its fullest conclusion. What about the white lady? This has really happened this last year. You can look it up all you want. The white lady who used to run an NAACP division in a certain city who dressed like she was African-American she actually took the time to tan her skin so dark that she looked African-American. She frizzed her hair. She did the whole thing to appear. I'm not trying to be racist. I'm that's what she did. And then later on, someone accused her and found out that she actually has two white parents. And she's not actually black. And then she came out with a book when, she, when, when it finally came out. She was discredited, lost her position, all that. She wrote a book saying, in my heart of hearts, I'm black. And all the black people got offended. They're like, you're not. That's lame that you would, Right? But, but isn't that the same conclusion? What's the difference between someone saying, well, but this is where I was born, but I feel like I'm this. I mean, can I, what if I said, I feel like I'm a puppy. I want to be a puppy. Come pet me. Right? It'd be like, hey, man, you may feel that way, but you're a dude. And that's not going to change, right? 
And so I'm not trying to be offensive, but let me tell you why I want, to really, I want to really drill down on this. You know, one of the reasons why we tell people and encourage people not to do drugs is because when you get addicted to a substance, there is a three times greater chance of you committing suicide. Three times. That's a 300% increase that you'll consider con- killing yourself, which, which is not God's plan. It's not God's will. Done a whole message on this. That is never the answer, by the way. There's a three times greater chance. This is one of the, one of the many reasons why you should not start messing around with marijuana, which is a gateway drug that leads to the harder stuff. You get fully addicted, even though you can also be fully addicted to marijuana. Don't even ask me to list the countless marriages I've seen ended over what they thought was casual marijuana use. Give me a break. It destroys people's careers or lives. So there, there's no such thing as a, as a little thing. You, well, it's not a drug. It's just marijuana. No, it's a drug. It destroys your life too. Bottom line is this. They, they destroy lives, right? So we encourage you not to do it because it, it puts you in a cycle of despair that's so great you eventually want to take your own life. Do you know, I don't know if you knew this, but there's been a study done over 30 years. It's not been a short little study. This has been something I've been studying for years. Social scientists have studied this. That after someone has a sex change surgery, there is not a three times greater chance of them committing suicide. There is a 40 times increase. I didn't say 40% increase, 40 times increase. You're virtually guaranteed to want to take your life. So how is it compassionate for me to encourage you to get this surgery that's not going to resolve what's going on in your life? It's going to make you more depressed. Well, that's because people like you preach this way. That's why they feel that. No, guys, the people that get these kind of surgeries live in communities with other people that also do this and feel accepted from them, and yet they still want to take their life. It's not a sexual crisis, guys. It's an identity crisis. So I do believe that you should correct something, and this is what you should correct. Nothing down here or here. Correct this. This is the fix. Well, it's my right to do that. I didn't say it wasn't your right. I'm not trying to take away a right. You can cut or add wherever you'd like. It's just not going to improve the way you feel about yourself. That has been proven. That is, I didn't, what I just said is not my opinion. That's medical facts. That you, it actually leads to greater despair. So when God says, I've made you male and female, he did that by design. And by the way, let me just tell you right now, however God created you, you're beautiful just like you are. God made you in his image. He loves you just like you are. So I just want to encourage you with that. So I probably hacked everyone off. It's okay, you're probably still more mad about the cats anyway. So then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, and all the animals in the scurry along the ground. So God says, hey, I've made, so when God did the height of creation, so he creates the world, he creates the atmosphere, the, he separates the water from, from the land, then he creates all the animals, right? Then this height of creation is what? Man, he creates men and women. That's the height of his creation. Turn to the person next to you and say, I am the height of his creation. Let him know right now. You're as good as it gets, right? But actually, man, I hate to break it to you, he made man, then the height height of his creation was woman, right? So then God creates woman. Yes, it's true. Come on, where are my girls at? Come on. That's right. And then, according to Genesis chapter 1, he brings naked Eve into naked Adam, and Adam looked at her and said, it is good. <laughs> I'm just trying to be biblical, guys. It's in what the Bible says. Okay. What does this mean for you and me? Number four, your birthright is to dominate. 
God designed you to dominate whatever it is that you do. You're not designed to get by. You're not supposed to just survive. You're supposed to thrive. You're supposed to dominate. You're supposed to reign. Over and over you see the word reign, govern, dominate. Govern and reign mean dominate. It means you're supposed to own whatever it is that you do. You're supposed to own it. You're supposed to run it. You're supposed to be in charge of it. Put your hands in front of you right now and say this with me, would you? Say, with these hands, I can dominate. God has designed you with skills, with, with a heart towards something, preferences of something you want to do that you're good at, and he wants you not just to be on the team, he wants you to run the team. doesn't want you just to be in the band, he wants you to be first chair. doesn't want you just to be on the team, be first, be first string. He doesn't want you just to be in the company, he wants you to lead it. God has put you in charge to run what he has given you. It's time to dominate what the word says. Go to work tomorrow with that attitude and see if it doesn't change how you fight for what you believe in, how you give it your all, how you're all in, how you do your best. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 8 says this, you gave them authority over all things. Now when it says all things, it means nothing is left out. But we have not yet seen all things put under their authority. How does God put everything back under his authority on this, in this world? Real simple. He gives his representatives, we are called ambassadors of Christ. Ambassador means you represent. So when you live in China and you're an ambassador for America, you're not a Chinese citizen. You are living in China, you're living in a, in a foreign land, and you are representing the land you're from, not where you are. So you may live in this world, but you are here to represent Christ. And so how does Christ take reign over this world again? How, how does Christ take over the government again? By Christians running for office. How does Christ take over the military again? By Christians rising up the military. How does Christ take over whatever industry you're in? By you becoming the best at what you do so you can dominate it and reclaim that ground for the Lord. That's what God wants us to do. Case in point, Matthew 28, 19. says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority. He's the boss. In heaven and on earth. Now, notice Jesus didn't say this early in his ministry. He says it after he died on the cross and rose again. So Jesus shows up and goes, hey, check that out. See those scars? That gives me authority. I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. I've been given eternal and earthly authority. Why? Because I lived on this earth and I died for you to give you eternity, right? So he says, I have been given authority. So when did Jesus get authority? He, he was born with authority because he's fully God, but he was given authority over heaven and earth. He connected the two. When he hung on that cross, it was like he was grabbing your hand and heaven's hand saying, I'm bringing it all together. So he's, he says, I've been given authority on earth. And then he says what? Go and make disciples. Actually, the Greek word is at, go is as you go. As you go into the military, make disciples. As you go into the sales business, make disciples. As you sell cars, make disciples. And you say, well, how can I do that? I'm just a car salesman. Let me tell you how. Become the best car salesman for your entire industry. And when they're giving you an award at the end of the year, they're going to put a mic in your hand. <laughs> and now you have an opportunity to tell them the difference between your life and what it was before. It's because of Christ. You see, when you dominate something, you get this little thing called influence. Why do people care what LeBron James thinks about the president? Because he dominates on the basketball court. Why do people care about what Dr. Phil thinks about something? Because he dominates the airwaves, right? He's got his own TV show. I mean, he was so good at being a psychologist for those in, that were in court, for, for narrating that. Oprah hired him. And next thing you know, he's famous. He dominated his industry in Dallas. They found him. Now he's in Hollywood. The point is this, is that when you dominate something, you get influence. So as you go and dominate, then you can make disciples. Then people want to listen to you. 
because of the good job that you are doing. God wants to give you authority. And it says here also, it says, make disciples of all nations and be sure this I'm with you always. So it says, hey, hey, I'm in charge. Jesus says, I, I dominate now. I took the cross for you. Now I have all the authority. And by the way, now I'm with you. So the one with all authority is with you. That should change how you walk. That should change how you talk, how you live your life, the decisions you make. Because Jesus is literally with you. What does that mean for you and me? We just write this down. This is just something on, on your notes. I just want to, want to just give you this. Jesus died on the cross and he says, all authority has been given to me. What does that mean for you and me? It means you need to do the thing to get the power. Do the thing, then you get the power. You don't get the power till after you do the accomplishment. We live in a world today that everybody wants to be the boss without having done anything. It doesn't work like that. When you're applying for jobs fresh out of college, you can't apply for the CEO position. It's not available. Why? Because you haven't done anything for it. No offense, you've done something. You've got a degree. That took work. But what you got for that was what you, was what you deserve. Which it, since you went to class, took all the tests, you got the degree. Congratulations. That's what you got. Now, what you do with a degree determines if you become the CEO. Does that make sense? So we, keep, we live in a world that wants to look like we dominate, even though we don't dominate. But the way that you become the boss is you got to do the thing to get the position. How do you get the, to be the lead sales manager? Because you were the top salesman two or three years in a row, and someone in the organization says, would you like to lead all the salespeople because you were the one dominating? So we want you to lead and teach everyone else in sales because you were kicking everyone's butt. So now teach them how to do it. So that's how you got to be the boss. Does that make sense? So when you dominate, it sets things up for you. But you have to do the thing before you get the power. We live in a world that wants to get the power without doing anything. I want to be the man. What have you done? Nothing. But let me be the man. There's not built-in respect for that. If we gave you the boss position without doing anything, no one would listen to you. You have to do something to earn the role. You want to be the boss? You want the corner office? Then when you get to the company in the mailroom, dominate the mailroom. Then you'll dominate the next role they give you, and you'll just keep climbing. It's not where you start that matters, guys. It's where you finish. Just stay at it and dominate whatever the Lord gives you. you got to do the thing to get the power. But we keep trying to get the power without doing the thing. It's kind of like the fat person trying to give you advice on how to lose weight. They haven't done the thing to be able to have the respect where you want to listen to them on that, right? But if the person who was really overweight loses all the weight, looks in great shape, and then they tell you, here's what you need to do, you're like, I want to listen because I remember when. And you look great now, and I want to do what you're doing, right? If you're going to take financial advice, I recommend taking it from someone who's got some money because they've done something, and so now they can be the boss. So I want to encourage you today, do the thing. Well, you know, the Bible says the Lord inhabits the praise of his people. So people say, well, I came to church, and I didn't really get much out of it. Well, you weren't praising him. Well, I didn't like the music, and I didn't like the lights. It's too loud or too soft or too this or too that. I didn't like it. I didn't get much out of it. That's real simple. The Lord didn't inhabit your praise because you didn't praise. The Bible says the Lord inhabits praise. It doesn't say the Lord inhabits his people, then they praise him. It doesn't say that. It says the Lord inhabits the praise of his people. So whether you like the song or not, you show up saying, Lord, no matter what I hear, I'm praising you today. And when you praise the Lord, then he says, now that you've praised me, 
I'll show up with my power on your life. Make sense? Oh God, if you'll just, I just, I can't overcome this problem or this struggle. I just can't do it. And we think it's about having power. It's not about having power. It's about obeying, obeying God. You have enough power to obey God the next step. Then he gives you his power to do it after that. See, we keep saying, God, give me your power, and then I'll, do, I'll, then I'll obey you. God says, no, you obey me, then you get my power. you got to do the thing to get the power. Quit waiting on God when he is waiting on you. Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed, and we take a moment to pray today. My prayer is that God is stirring in you to do the thing. What is your thing? What is he leading you to do? See, the truth is we complain about things in our life that we can actually change, which makes no sense. So how's God speaking to you? He's saying, hey, time to be the boss. Best way to be the boss of someone else is to become the boss of yourself first. Through the Spirit is not other control. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe your prayer today is to say, God, forgive me. I, I, I'm trying to be the big man on campus. I'm trying to, to be the woman in charge. But I haven't even taken control of my own time. I haven't learned to take what I do to multiple. Lord, I want to start there. Your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe your prayer today is to say, God, help me to do the thing so I can get the power. Help me. Show me what that is, God. Maybe it's to get back with school. Maybe it's to finish what you started. Maybe it's to keep a promise to someone. Maybe it's to keep a promise to yourself or to God. You can be the boss. You can live like a boss. It's time to dominate what you've been given. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I want to encourage you today to honor the Lord. I love the song we sang earlier. I love that line where it said, tell the devil not today. What a great line. No, not today. You're not taking me out today. I'm honoring the Lord. I'm going to dominate this next hour. I'm going to dominate this, this next 24 hours. I'm going to dominate this day for the Lord. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, would you choose dominance today? Would you choose to say, God, I'm going to reign over what you've given me for your glory? Take back your life. Take back your choices. Take back the freedom God's given you. Begin to dominate what he's put in front of you. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, make that your prayer today. Jesus died on the cross and rose again to pay the price for your sins and for mine. Now he waits for you to simply receive him in your heart. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you've never trusted Christ, you can pray this prayer with me. We're going to pray this prayer a little bit different today. We're going to pray this prayer, though, and you can receive Christ. Would you pray this prayer with me? You can say, Dear Jesus, thank you that you dominated death for me. You died for me, and you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart, be my boss. I put you in charge of my life. I repent of my sins. I make you my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray. Amen. Ain't God good? His word is so true.